Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. Uh, today, it's just going to be me, uh, Carlo. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read to you uh, from my story that appears in the Ohio State University Press Anthology, Speculative Fiction for Dreamers, a Latinx anthology. Um, and I'm going to be reading to you from my story that appears there uh, titled, How Juan Bobo Got to Los Nuevos so, sit back and enjoy. How's Juan Bobo got to Los Nueva Yores? Back home, he was sure he had been better, less confused. Even now, standing at the head of the class, he frowned at the big map and tried to remember where he'd come from. The blue parts must be water. Everywhere else was a green so deep he fell into it and came out on his mountainside, the one back home where he ran and climbed and wandered, where he could spend a morning eating mangoes until his face was sticky, and spend an afternoon following a single ant as it meandered through the tall grass one. His teacher repeated, Can you show us? A giggle rippled through the classroom. Juan liked hearing people laugh, even if sometimes they called him Bobo, like in all those fables. He liked listening to those stories. He liked listening to all the things he was supposed to have done, like he had lived so many lives. Juan blinked, seeing the map again. He dropped his hand and shrugged. Juan, where are you from? Puerto Rico, he said. Yes, his teacher pointed at the map. Puerto Rico. Can you show us on the map? The laughter was louder this time. Juan stood taller and shrugged again. His teacher's pale skin turned the color of Ormiga Brava. She glared at him, snatched her yardstick, and snapped it against the map. Do you even habla inglés? Juan felt a worm of fear wriggle into his gut. Pinned under her gaze, he nodded and sang what English he had learned from La Misi back home. Pollito, chicken, gallina, hen, lapis, pencil, y pluma, pet. Mommy came to get him after he spent the day in the corner. She took him home as fast as his legs could carry him. If he dragged his feet to stare at the airships floating as slow and serene as whales overhead, she tugged him forward until they reached the bu their building. She pushed him into the apartment and locked the door behind her. Before she left, Mommy hissed that she would settle things. Don't think she'd forget. The apartment grew dark as he waited for Mommy to return. He lay back onto his cot and let his mind wander. He told himself the story of how Juan Bobo got to be a shut-in to remember, but wasn't sure how much time had passed. Had it been yesterday? The day before? The old stories started with once upon a time, but Juan knew it didn't mean things happened for certain. Things could have happened already, are yet to happen, or never happened at all. Maybe his story followed the same rules. One of the trains on the Brooklyn-Manhattan transferred punched past outside, all vibration and the sound of a thousand scissors singing snickety-snack. It shredded his story to tatters, leaving behind silence and the musty smell of old plaster dust drifting down. Juan jumped when Mommy slammed the door behind her. Her promise to settle things, forgotten until the moment she returned, crashed over Juan, and he froze, wary. 
She shrugged a load of clothes onto the back of her sewing chair before she disappeared into the room she shared with the other girls. She returned having shed her street clothes and wearing her house slippers. Juan closed his eyes, pretending he was asleep. He watched Mommy as she stood over him, her face in shadows. Was she going to pull him out of bed and punish him like she'd promised? After a time, she turned away. She picked through the clothes she'd brought from work. She shook out a skirt and sank into her chair. She turned the fabric over in her hands before taking needle and thread to the tattered hem. She hummed a meandering tune while she sewed. Juan's eyelids grew heavy, every blink stretching out into what seemed forever, the fluid loop of once upon a time. A drift, a drift, in the gray place between sleeping and waking, between now, then, and what's to be. Mommy sewing in her chair, an island of light in the distance. Juan dreamed, or thought he dreamed, of being back home. He laughed, running on alongside Abuela's three-legged pot bouncing along the road. Mommy had sent him to fetch it. When he got to his grandmother's house, she urged him to carry it, lest it get dented. Juan had a good reason not to follow her wishes. The pot was as black and heavy as unconfessed sins. Here, Abuela had pressed her gnarled hand into Juan's and slipped him a paper cone full of gofia to sweeten the deal. The powdery combination of toasted cornmeal and brown sugar set Juan's mouth awater. I know it's your favorite, she had said, and her dark face crinkled into a sly smile. She knew the way to keep Juan's attention was through his sweet tooth. He had been dutiful. Oh, how dutiful he had been. Now, he trudged along, blowing droplets of sweat out of his eyes, the sweetness on his lips long forgotten. The pot fit felt heavier than before, no matter how many times he shifted it from one aching shoulder to the other. He, then he noticed its three legs. You might have fooled Abuela, but not me, he grum grunted as he set the pot down. Get going, lazybones. You can use your legs to walk the rest of the way. The pot did not budge. Go! Juan shouted it, but it wasn't until he kicked it and sent it rolling along that it moved. All it had needed was the right motivation. Now he clapped his hands in rhythm with its hollow clangs. The black iron of the pot dull with the dust of the road. The clangor reminded him of the rolling beats of Papi's drums. Juan sang, weaving the beat between the jingle of the pot and the slap of his feet on the road. Lola se murió. Lola se lo lamento. Mento, mento, san. San, san, germán. He ran. The grass green of the cane field on his right, the blood-red clay of the road stretching away before him, and the deeper green of the mountains stretching away towards the sky on his left. The air was full of the buzzing of mosquitoes and the sweet rancid smell of sugarcane left too long in the sun. Then the mountains spoke. They rose, green and huge as the swelling waves in the deep, deep sea, frozen as they scratched the underbellies of green clouds. The voices of the mountains rolled out of the forests full of the rumble of faraway thunder and the whispers of leaves moving with the wind. Does your mommy know where you're going, Juan? Juan started to answer, but spluttered as the first fat drops of rain stung his cheeks. Quick as a slap, he came out of his reverie. The pot had rolled to a stop in the road ahead, the rain pattering around it. The dust of the road, soon to be mud, would leave stains dark as blood on his clothes. Imagining the look Mommy would give him, if he returned to the house covered in mud, he peeled off his clothes. He folded them into a bundle under his arm. Ahead, the downpour hissed towards him, driving the voice of the mountains before it. Does your Mommy know you're wearing your Sunday best? No, he wanted to say, that's not true. But who could argue with mountains? When he proffered his bundle of homespun clothes as proof, 
They had disappeared from under his arm. He looked under each, just to be sure, muttering, ¿Dónde estás? He was wearing a motley instead, the crackling red of of end-of-harvest cane fire on his right, the black of charred fields on his left. The rain stopped. Okoki made a single tentative peep, swallowed by the night. The smell of rain, clean and sharp as a knife, mingled with the flat musk of wet earth. A low thrum in the air made Juan shiver. He felt something slither loose, deep in his belly. He choked back loops and loops of crowing laughter, knowing once he started he could not stop. No one could. Not abuela, not mommy. No, it was time to go. To get back home. To let mommy make things better again. When he turned to kick the pot again, an old hiwero stood in his place, his skin dark and dusty as black iron. Enough! The old man raised his hands and surrendered. Old cast iron shears, machete blades, and crooked skewers fell to the land in the red to land in the red mud at his feet, as if he had hid them all up his sleeves. No more kicking. You found my hideout at you. I give up. One felt the flutter of what? Recognition? How? He had no memory of him. Was he feeling confused again? Had this happened on the island, on its mountains and red clay paths, or before then, when it was once upon a time? The paths had all become tangled, blended together, so they all looked alike. One shook his head, but if he squinted, the old man looked like Abuela. Was he her brother? You hear me, Achu? I'm Juan. Si, Pepe, the old man said and nodded with pursed lips. Come on, this is Tiogi you're talking to. His face crinkled into a wry grin and he raised one foot towards Juan. Go ahead, pull the other one. I'm not Pepe either. Juan patted his chest and repeated himself louder and slower. I told you already, I'm Juan. Augie scoffed, but leaned in and squinted into Juan's eyes, first one, then the other, as if he expected to see something there. When he was done, he grimaced and spat on the side of the road. That's the best trick you ever pulled. The Hiwara chuckled, but the dull red of hot iron glowed through his skin. When he spoke again, wisps of acrid smoke curled out of his mouth. How'd you hide from yourself? So many questions. His chest burned with their heat, thronging in his throat, but not one of them scrabbled past the others to be uttered. It would be like the thin spray of a leak before the flood, and like the laughing spell he had tamped down, he wasn't sure he could stop himself. Instead, Juan shook his head and shrugged. She really did it, Ogie murmured, and Juan wondered if the old man was talking to him. Snipped and tucked you away tight as a pocket. Juan wanted to know who had done the sewing, but he felt silent when the townspeople stepped out onto the road. They slipped out of the cane fields like phantoms, and each knelt to take one of the sharp irons from the mud. More people stepped out of the trees and long grass on his left. Juan recognized his teacher and the sugar mill's mayordomo Don Pello, their faces slack. They hissed accusations at each other from their ragged lines. A small town's old hurts and petty squabbles ripped open, bleeding poison words until one by one they felt silent, staring at Juan. He's red, the people to his right murmured. No, no, he's black, the people on his left growled. They leapt at each other, shrieking, rusted iron stabbing. Juan lurched awake to the snickety-snack of the L train rumbling past. In its wake, the latest Johnny Rodriguez song wafted through the fence from the neighbor's apartment. It was the closest Mommy and the other girls got to owning a radio. Mommy sat in her chair, humming, her hands moving needle and thread. The rest of the apartment was dark, still. The girls long gone to their shifts at the shirt factory. The collection of blouses and skirts Mommy had brought draped the arms of her chair in a tidy stack.
She stopped humming when she felt Swan slip out of the bed. Johnny, she said, voice low. She frowned at the stitch she worked on, pulled it tight. What are you doing awake? No pude. Juan flinched at Mommy's hiss. He switched to his halting English. I could not... Sleeping? No, I could not sleep. Mommy's eyes flashed in the low light, but she softened after a moment, waved him closer. When Juan tried to clamber into her lap, she set her sewing aside and murmured, Wasn't he too grandecito for his mommy's lap? She relented and he put his ear to her chest. He could feel Mommy's hum through one ear and hear the music with his other. Ay, Johnny. Her sigh trailed off into nothing. Juan waited for her to settle things like she'd promised, or to tell him again how important speaking English was to fit in with things here. Instead, she stroked his head before she took up her sewing again. A bad dream, Juan shuddered. What? made me awake? Mommy made a small noise. She folded the fabric of the skirt once, then once again as she pushed the needle through, pulled the thread taut as she finished the hem. Light flashed off the needle as she closed the stitch, but Juan gasped when Mommy drew out her shears to snip the thread. What's the matter? Mommy tucked the needle into her sleeve, thread trailing. She shushed him as she brushed the skirt and folded it. Why do you do it, Mommy? The extra work? No, he pinched his fingers as if holding a needle and rolled his wrist, mimicking Mommy's movements. What's the word for coser? Sewing. Juan nodded. Why do you like sewing? It's extra money. Mommy shrugged. I like it. Why do you like it so much? Aren't you full of questions tonight? She patted the finished skirt, set it aside, and peeled a shirt off her chair arm. It's a good one, though. Mommy found the mark of Taylor's chalk on the torn underarm seam. She pulled swatches out of her pockets, comparing colors against the fabric, until she found a close enough match. Making clo old clothes new again. It's an old magic. It lets people tell the world new stories about themselves. You can almost be someone new if you're wearing new clothes. Did you, Juan said after a long moment, ever make me clothes? All red on one side and, and black on the other? Her hands froze mid-stitch. Mommy? Time for bed, Johnny. Juan shrank away from the tone of her voice. It was Mami's Nueva York's voice, where the chill of the air, the hardness of the concrete had seeped into her words. She'd used it when she found him playing on the corner with the other children. Come out of the sun, mijo. You want to look like some burnt-up thing? Juan didn't understand why staying out, of, staying out of the sun was important to Mami when she was as brown as he was. But he stayed inside to be her good boy. Now he looked yellow. If Abuela saw him this way, she would give him spoonful after spoonful of cod liver oil, convinced he was sick. Silence stretched to fill the air, until Juan slipped off Mommy's lap. He climbed back into his bed, turned to face the wall. Mommy stood, stretched, and turned out the light. Johnny? Her voice was low, tentative. Where did you see those clothes? I must have dreamed it, Juan said after a moment, before turning in the dark to face the wall. He lay awake a long time after Mommy had gone to sleep. The story of how Juan Bobo almost fed his sweet tooth started the next day. He woke to Mommy bustling out the door to work, past the other girls who lived in the apartment. Maggie and Alex chattered and joked with Juan while he searched the kitchen for something sweet. The empty sugar jar reminded him that Mommy and the girls couldn't always fill it. Another difference between this place and back home. 
He wished he could go out and get some sugar at the corner store, but Mummy didn't want him outside, and the girls knew it. They leaned against the end of the kitchen counter, sharing a cigarette as they played Bidiscus. They gossiped in low voices while they took turns tossing cards into the pot, until one of them scored the trick. Juan flounced back to bed and lay there until Ma Alex and Maggie stubbed out their last cigarette and, yawning, disappeared into the next room. Alex always called him Juancho, and Maggie played rhyming games, and best of all, both of them spoke Spanish with him. They had been the ones who had told him his poppy was off in the war fighting the animales. For days, Juan's head had danced with visions of lion warriors, elephant generals, monkey spies, and his father standing tall against every one of them. Papi's black skin gleamed with sweat as he held his pistol in one hand, his machete in the other, and held off the vicious enemy. When Juan asked Mommy how the army Papa fought against their, against held their weapons, I mean, didn't animales have paws? She corrected him. Not animales, Johnny. Her smile trembled and didn't light up her eyes. Alemanes. Germans. Soldiers from far away. His vision, which had transformed into Papi surrounded by enemy soldiers, lost its luster. In its place, he felt hollow and afraid he might never see his father again. Now in the apartment, Juan froze, his hand in the bread box. Had he heard one of the girls stir in the next room? After a moment of silence, he moved his hand and felt the edge of a silver dollar Mummy had hidden in there. He pocketed the money, took the spare key, and slipped out the door. He took the stairs down and stepped out of the building into the barrio. The calls of hawkers filled the cool morning air with Spanish and English drowned out by the sound of a streetcar zipping past, ringing its bell, trailing sparks. One followed a crowd of people. He started to cross the street with them, but stopped short, staring at a zeppelin crossing overhead, silent and enormous as a thundercloud. Estás loco! Rough hands fell on him, yanked him to the curb in one long, long frog march step. Juan blinked at the old man's skin, black as an old three-legged pot. Muchacho, didn't your mommy teach you any sense? You can't just stand on the street and bow like that. Oggy. One said. He was glad to recognize someone in this place. How'd you get here? Things get bad, bad back home for you, too? Augie. The old man looked confused for a moment, but then winked and gave him a sly smile. See, si, Pepe. Go ahead, pull the other one. Not Pepe. Remember? Juan knew this game. Juan, or, or Johnny, if you don't want to get in trouble with my mummy, too. Speaking of, Augie snapped his fingers. Where's your mommy, kid? She know you're out of school? Yeah, Juan said. She's the one who talked to my teacher about not going back. Augie pursed his lips and started to step away when Juan dug into his pocket and pulled out the silver dollar. She gave me this. Juan brandished the coin. Augie stopped mid-step, his gaze so fixed on the coin, Juan put it back in his pocket. She said to buy her something sweet. Why didn't you say so? Augie tilted his head so Juan would follow him. I know just the place. Augie urged him to go inside when they got to the store. The old man had made Juan's mouth water with the descriptions of the sweets inside. It was the best place in the barrio, Augie told him. But when Juan set foot inside, the, the owner shooed him out. In between scolding him, he repeated, School! School! Until... Juan backed out of the store. What do ants care if I get some candy? Ants? Augie looked confused. See, he said the true ants didn't want me in there. Mm. Doesn't seem fair. Augie shook his head along with Juan. He stopped, and a smile spread across his face. I know. If I act like your papa, he'll let me inside, and I'll get you what you want. Just tell me what sweets you want. Augie held out his open hand. Juan felt a sudden prickling of doubt. He should close his fist around the silver dollar and slip it back into his pocket, go back home and put it back where he found it. Come on, muchacho. Augie flapped his hand. 
Think about how happy your mommy will be that you thought of her. I'm sure she'll share with you. I want to imagine mommy smiling at him like she used to do so often back home. The glow of pleasure made him forget that he'd made the story up about mommy wanting sweets in the first place. That's it. He planted the coin in Augie's palm. Wait for me here. Juan did. His mouth watered as he kept imagining how the sweetness would weigh on his tongue. Soon, he would get golfy or a belone lollipop encrusted with sesame seeds. Where was Augie? The shadows had lengthened by the time Juan worked up his nerve enough to go back inside. The shop owner glanced at him before he returned to reading his newspaper. Juan peered down the handful of aisles and once again, because sometimes he missed things. Augie wasn't in the store. Juan felt a pang of fear. He had lost Mommy's money, and he didn't even have any sweets to offer her as a trade. He raced back home, trying to beat Mommy back home. It didn't work. When he cracked the door open, Mommy raised her gaze from Alex and Maggie. Her glare drew him into the apartment. He saw the girls' wide-eyed faces for an instant before they scurried past him and out into the hallway. Close the door. Mommy's voice was cold, calm. Juan froze. Johnny! Mommy barked, making him jump. What did I tell you? Mommy's voice was low again, trembling with anger. Juan leaned against the door to shut it, afraid to look away. Mommy had never hit him, but he was afraid she might now. Why? Juan felt his face burn with the shame of not being the good boy his mommy wanted. He tried to think about the why of things, but it retreated into the same place once upon a time lived in his thoughts, left no reasons in its wake. He stared at his hands, his feet, and shrugged. Fine. Mommy bit off the end of the word and put her hand out, palm up. The girls told me you took their money but I made sure they knew my Juan is no thief. The heat drained away, left Juan cold. He blinked at Mommy's empty hand. He wanted to say something, anything. Johnny, she waggled her fingers under his nose. Give it back. Juan stared at her hand. It filled his entire world. I don't have it. Mommy set her jaw. He he promised mommy. Juan started to tell her about how Augie had agreed to buy him candy, but as soon as she mentioned, as soon as he mentioned Dio Augie, his mother cut him off. Not a one of you. Not another one of your stories. Mommy pressed her lips together as to hold back the rush of words. She sighed, said, "I'll have to pay them back for what you did." Money I just made last night. She stopped, raised a hand to her mouth. She pinched her lips closed, like closing a coin purse, and shook her head. She reached into her pocket and pressed a silver dollar into Juan's hand. He stared at the coin, still warm from her hand. You, Mommy said, will be the who gives this back to them. Let's see how you feel when you see their disappointment in you. But be sure to say you're sorry. Later, after the girls left, Mommy asked him what had happened. He told her about meeting Dio Augie, how he had promised Juan he would buy the sweets for his mommy, but had disappeared instead. Mommy bowed her head and sighed. She was in her chair, the light of the lamp at her back. When she spoke, her face was in shadow. I want what's best for you, mi amor, she murmured, her voice hollow. Your father, too. He wanted more than just cutting caña until you're old and bent with nothing to show for it, but scars on your hands. She stared out the doorway to the bedroom. Juan's eyes sought hers, wanting her back from wherever memory had taken her. Why did you want something sweet? I miss Abuela's gofio, 
He had almost told her about the dream, the sweetness so heavy on his tongue he woke up craving it. A ghost of a smile flickered across Mommy's face. She stood, gestured for Juan to sit at the tiny kitchen table. When he did, she had already taken out a pan and the bottle of milk from the icebox. She poured milk into the pan and set it on a low flame. It simmered, and she stooped to grab a fistful of rice, tossed it into the pan. She stirred and turned on the heat, and, pour, and at last poured out the rice soup into a bowl. Here, she said, and slid it across the table, the steam caressing Juan's face. Like Abuela used to say, Barriga llena, corazón contento. Juan finished the phrase, nodding at the wisdom. Often, he was happier after he ate. He took the spoon Mommy handed him. He slurped at the seeming rice, wondering how Abuela liked to make this when she could get the rice she needed. Between Mommy standing behind him stroking his hair, singing a meandering tune, and the warmth of the rice soup pooled in his belly, Juan felt today soothed away, smoothed away, until he felt his eyelids grow heavy. How Juan took his piglet to church began when he had taken his beloved Chencha wrapped in swaddling clothes to the chapel up in the mountains back home. The folks from town called it Monte Riva because of the long climb to get there, but the Hibaros in the mountains called the tiny church the Chapel of Tides because it came and went, sometimes there, but gone others. Everyone agreed it laid at the center of a once-upon-time place. Yellow-green palm leaves woven into a cross hung from the rusted zinc roof, and Juan crossed himself like he'd been taught was proper. The green slopes of the surrounding mountains rose through the low-hanging clouds. Mommy had told Juan that family was going hungry. She told him to bring Chencha out of her pen. Juan knew what would happen next, and how he had cried. After a full day and half of the next of Juan howling, and drumming his heels against the floorboards, Mommy snapped. The day she would go hungry, she said, was the day Chencha would be baptized. Juan knew what he had to do. Now, Juan bowed his head as he stepped under the eaves, cradling his piglet. Chencha was as heavy as a stone in his arms, and she snored, but he loved her. She pranced and wagged her scraggly root of a tail when he came near, so Juan knew she loved him back. He looked for the wash basin the priest used as a font. A quick splash was all Juan needed to save his piglet from becoming tomorrow's feast. Then back before sundown, a small sound made Juan peek farther into the chapel. A woman in white sat on the lone pew, her back to him. Her shoulders shook with quiet sobs, her hands folded together and pleading to the cross painted on the far wall behind the altar. Shelves flanked the cross, filled with clusters of flickering candles and the chipped statues of saints. The sorrowful, pained eyes of the icons gleamed in the candlelight. A gust of wind slammed the door be closed behind Juan, buffeted the chapel. The wooden slats creaked, and the small building shuddered and rolled like a ship at sea. Chincha squealed awake and squirmed out of Juan's arms, she trotted down the aisle towards the altar, dragging her swaddling behind her. He cried out after her, but the chapel pitched forward after another gust. Out the tiny window, the green slopes of the mountains moved like gigantic swells trailing salt spray behind them. In the distance, the mountains grew more narrow, lights twinkling along their sides like rows of windows and the low oblong shape of an airship hung low in the sky. Was this the steamer he had taken with Mommy to Nueva York? Or was it another ship from further back, from before they got to their island all those years ago? A memory bubbled up of being carried through the green peaks and valleys of the deep, deep sea, squeezed down to fit, surrounded by shit and fear and death, the muted ting-ting of black iron chains wailing in the dark belly of a ship, carried, carried across the face of the compass rose. Back in the chapel, the woman in white keened over the sound of the wind. She moaned and rocked, cradling a bundle in her arms. She repeated, Why did you take him? 
When he drew closer, one noticed it had been Mommy all the while. He had not noticed it before. Maybe it was the magic thrumming through every board of the place, or maybe he had never seen his mother this sad. Don't be sad. She could not hear him. Juan wasn't sure if it was over the full throat of the wind, or the creaking sounds of the chapel moving like a galleon over the swells, or because he was now a phantom, a dream self. Mommy whispered, they took him and looked up at the walls of saints. One of your own, she said, her gaze darting from one porcelain face to another. Their collected eyes looked away, upward. One peered over her shoulder. He had thought she had chincha, once again wrapped tight in her swaddling, but instead it looked like a stone. When he blinked, he realized it was a fire-hardened clay, black and rounded as a river stone on one side, the bright red of fresh blood on the other. It had cowrie shells for eyes, a mouth. Was he feeling confused again? Juan knew he was both the clay baby in Mommy's arms and himself floating over her shoulder. He knew it the same way old stories and dreams feel like slipping on familiar clothes after visiting and revisiting them. Mommy stroked the curved surface of the clay baby. Something vast moved behind the wall of saints. He felt it like an indrawn breath, or a sudden gust of wind laden with the taste of rain upon it. Its gaze moved, moved over him, the cloud of a thunderstorm sliding over rolling hills. It peered out at them through the eyes of the saints on the wall, each of them a mask through which it watched the world. I'll hide him, sewn up, safe as God's own pocket. Mommy leaned forward, a quavering smile on her lips. Please. The chapel groaned, tilted, a ship climbing the face of a wave. Outside, skyscrapers squeezed between the mountains, lights glimmering like sprays of seaward stars. Mommy cocked her head as if listening to a whisper. Her face beamed her thanks, and she rocked back to sag against the pew. She murmured her thanks over and over while her hands moved. Juan watched in horror as she drew out her shears and cut a Juan-shaped hole in the air around the stone. What was left in its wake was a simple doll shape. She drew the shimmering cloth over the seashell eyes. She set aside the shears, blades stained red, smoothed out wrinkles. With a long needle, she started stitching. He saw the needle flash, felt stitches tighten at the nape of his neck, and he thrashed awake the snickety-snack of the train, a soothing lullaby. Mommy stood at the wash basin in the kitchen, the gray light of dawn all around her. He panted, shuddering as the last shreds of the dream faded, the green hills of home a knife of yearning piercing his heart. Mommy sang in a low voice, washing dishes. Her song lulled him, his eyelids heavy, it had been a dream, nothing more, nothing less. She slipped her shears, a drip with blood, into her apron pocket. Sleep fled. Juan clamped both hands over his mouth to keep a scream from clawing its way out. Mommy stopped. She turned her ear, and Juan saw her face in profile. He willed his limbs to ease back into bed and closed his eyes as if asleep. Juan didn't dare open them because Mommy might be standing over his bed watching. He jolted awake when the doorsnick closed. Had it all been a dream? Had it happened? Juan shook his head. Why had she done... What? Cut him down to size? Was he some kind of cloth Mommy was ready to sew? In none of the Juan Bobo stories he had told himself had Mommy ever wanted to hurt him. In every one of the stories she loved him just the way he was... Was he feeling confused again? Back home, wherever he had felt like this, whenever he had felt like this, he would have run off into El Monte. He would have tramped up and down back trails surrounded by the green hum of living things to help him think. Here, his thoughts were the dull gray of concrete and steel. He had to go, even if it meant defying mommy again. 
somewhere green with trees and grass and maybe the chuckle of water trickling somewhere unseen. After he left the building, Juan wandered the streets of El Barrio asking for directions to some place with trees. By midday, he caught a glimpse of treetops overhanging stone walls, but even though his feet ached and his stomach felt like it was flapped against his ribs, he felt renewed by the faint smells of loam and water and green leaves. A sign hung next to the entrance to the park. No Puerto Rican gods allowed. Juan blinked, clenched his brow while he mouthed the English words over and over. His head hurt trying to understand, but he shrugged his doubt off and entered the park. In the distance, people walked on the arch of a bridge crossing a stream, wearing fancy clothes and tossing crumbs to the swans. The low burble of the stream called to Juan, the sigh of a breeze ruffling his hair. A whistle pierced his calm, and he turned. Mano, pa donde va? Augie stared at him. Where do you think you're going? Didn't you see the sign? Augie tried to grab him by the arm, but Juan danced back. Leave me alone. He glared at Augie. Mommy's words still a fresh hurt. He he wanted to scold Augie for taking his money, but Mommy didn't like him lying either. You took the money I gave you, he said. Sure, Augie looked like he'd bit into something better and ducked his head in a half nod. If that's what it takes to keep you out of the park. Juan felt an odd vertigo as he said, No. He turned away, walked further into the park, breathing the smell of dirt and green living things. Aradillas bounced off the cobbled path, and one chattered at him from its perch in the tree, its bristling tail twitching. One remembered people called fierce brown-furred snake-eaters back home, Aradillas. But Mommy told him the right word for those was mongoose. He felt the old confusion cloud his mind, and he sank onto one of the many benches lining the path until the feeling passed. Who is shouting? Mamo muchacho! Augie dashed forward, his furtive movements like the squirrels. Let's go before there's trouble. People from El Barrio crowded at the entrance of the park. Some pointed and cast dark looks their way, and Juan waved at them, gestured them closer. Why didn't they want to sit on the benches and enjoy the shade like him? Come on, Ogie said. If you follow me, I promise you to get you some sweets. Juan clicked his tongue, shook his head. No. He'd want some quiet time under the branches of a tree like back home. No longer. First Ogie, now this crowd, and those distant cries. Who is shouting? Two police officers trotted across the grass, clubs in hand. They made sweeping gestures as they approached, the way Juan shooed away his little chencha when she was in his way. On the bridge, more people in fine clothes gathered, watching. The way they moved reminded him of when officers came looking for Poppy back home after what happened at the sugar mill. Poppy had turned, told him to run, even as he stood blocking the door. No! Ogie stepped between them and Juan, hands together in supplication. The officer shouted in an English broken in ways Juan's didn't recognize. He stared at their skin more pale than his and orange hair, and wondered if it affected how they spoke English. How they swung their clubs at Augie and made it clear what their words meant. Augie blocked their way to Juan, holding his arms out, even as one of the officers swung his club. Juan cried out, sprang up to pull him down. They fell back a jumble of limbs. When he saw blood running down half of Augie's face, he shouted for help. One of the policemen pried him off, wailing, and swung his club at him. Juan scrambled back, ran towards the crowd. The gathered people from El Barrio had spilled into the park. Some of them shouted to others, Do something! Lo están matando! Others said nothing, or muttered there will be trouble for everyone. He recognized one voice. Let me through! How could Mommy be here? She should be at work, right? No. He heard her shout his name. Johnny! Mijo! Come here! She reached through the crowd. 
She glanced back at Augie, held up between the two policemen with blood streaming from his scalp. One clutched at Mummy's hand and she pulled him through the crowd. Once out, she turned, eyes blazing. May this be the last time, she spat through gritted teeth. Her hand flashed out and slapped him on the face before she crushed him to her and sobbed. Back at the apartment, Alex and Maggie had felt the long, tense silence loom over them and left earlier than usual. Each smiled at Juan when Mommy was looking the other way. She had yanked his arm all the way back from the park, snapping him forward step by step. Juan had stopped when he saw the warning sign again, its block letters shouting, No, Puerto Ricans, dogs, aloud. Juan blinked at the words mouthed them again, but Mommy tugged him along in her wake. He craned his neck to keep looking at the sign as he stumbled behind his mother. Back in the apartment, he touched his cheek. The sting of Mommy's hand, light and dry against the skin, lingered. She took a long breath, smoothed back her hair. One, she said. He blinked, surprised. She had insisted on calling him Johnny ever since they got here. Things can't go on like this. Do you know how much you scared me? Juan stared at his hands. I just... Mommy murmured. Why can't you mind what you're told? Mommy, I... I don't want to hear about it. She slammed her hand on the kitchen table, but bit back whatever else she had meant to say. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, mijo. Forgive me, but I'm so... Angry. Juan dropped his gaze, cheeks ablaze, lips quivering. No! Mommy rushed forward, kneeling to take his hands. Not at you, mi amor. A ghost of a smile softened her face. We, your father and I, had hoped this place would be a better place for you. Just like in the stories. Juan knew all about stories he loved best. They began once upon a time. But they could happen whenever. Yesterday, a hundred years ago, or not yet. Mommy's once upon a time had been this place, Noyayur. Did Papi think the same? Was this before Papi had to go prove he was brave? Yes, she whispered. Brave. The police came for him. ¿Y qué pasó? Mommy shot him a look and Juan ducked his head. I mean, what happened next? They made him choose. Mommy scoffed. A grim smile pressing her lips together. He had the freedom to choose between jail or the army. Juan squeezed Mommy's hand. I couldn't let that happen to you, too. She raised a hand to cup his cheek in her palm. I want you to be safe. Stay safe. Fit in. One felt the dizzying dream sense of being in his body while also watching himself far away through a velvet tunnel. His ragged edges fluttered in the wind between who he had been and who he was now. Safe? Your abuela has a favorite saying. Vestir un santo con el saco del otro. I didn't know I could do it, Johnny, but I had to try. Dressing one saint with the other's clothes? I saw you, Mommy, Juan shuddered with the effort of dragging the memory to light. In the chapel, back home? After, too. Is that why Augie was in the park? Stop it, Johnny. Mommy's face hardened. Dreams are just that. Dreams. He called me Echu, Juan said. Was he talking too fast? He laughed at me, hiding behind new clothes. The old man in the park? Look at what all this nonsense got him. Is that what you want? Juan opened his mouth, closed it without saying anything. Is it? Mommy's voice lashed him. Her eyes gleamed like wounds. Tell me, is that what you want to happen? Juan shook his head, murmured no. Then help me, mi amor. Mommy put her, on, her arms around him, pressed him to her. He stiffened before he let her enfold him into her embrace. Help me keep you as safe as being in God's own pocket. Juan made a small sound of assent. 
He trusted her to keep him safe, but the cost of living in a place like once upon a time was not being tied to any time at all. There was no before, only a now and the happily ever after which is to come. Juan wasn't the only one who wanted to fit in. Like a child's game, every person who came here dared others to snip away threads to who they were before, folded, then once again, until it was hidden from view, even their own. He felt the old familiar confusion lift as the song of a thousand scissors singing snickety-snack filled his ears. Juan walked to school, let the sounds of El Barrio wash over him. English, Spanish, tangled in the air, became something new, something different. The streetcar zipped past, trailing sparks, filling his nose with the acrid smell of ozone. Once it was gone, the low simmer of old food rotting in the gutters enveloped him. Airships floated overhead under steel-colored clouds. The gray peaks of skyscrapers rose like mountains, not yet crowned by mist or thunder. If he looked out of the corner of his eye, he thought he saw mountains, hazy with distance. Every time he repeated his story to himself, they grew sharper, greener, until one day the skyscrapers would become the mountains back home. He started the story away again from the beginning. Once upon a time, Juan Bobo got to Las Nueva Yores and was sure he had been better back home. He was convinced he had been better, less confused. Juan knew other people called him Bobo, just like in the stories. This confused him even more because he dreamed of a time when he had yet another name. But not today. He repeated it until the story flowed seamless without a hitch. The end. Thanks for listening, folks. And I'll catch you next time on Podside. Take care.